0: Psychology in Seattle. Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist.
1: I'm Mandy Kirkskassen.
0: And I'm Umberto Castaneda. I am an
2: amateur titanoboologist. <laughs>
3: We have a special guest with us today. Joe, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, thanks for having me back again. Uh, my name is Joe Lankford. I'm a therapist and author and a sex educator here in Seattle.
0: Please like us on Facebook. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please email us at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Most of our emails come from people outside the United States, and I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners are inside the United States. So come on, Americans, send us some emails. Let us know you're out there. And also, I would appreciate emails of people not. Not yelling at us for all the stupid things we say if you have something nice to say it'd be nice to get an email about that too now and then do we get yelled at a lot
1: by we i mean you
0: yeah (laughs) i get yelled at uh frequently yeah I'd like to know more about the complaints. I love the you complaints. You
1: don't forward the complaints to us.
0: I don't. Why don't
1: you let me field one once?
0: Well, it's... It, 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 I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I will. I will. Um, but
1: not too mean because I cry.
0: That's what I'm saying. That's oh. why I don't send them to you.
1: They're that mean? They would make me cry?
0: Not... No... Not lately.
1: What's wrong with people? They have nothing better to do but, like, stomp, stomp on people's hobbies and dreams. The fact that you're trying to be doing good work out there. Yes. I want to poop on you. Yes. How about us? Well, I want to poop on you.
0: I've realized that there are people Haters. out there who take pleasure or are on a mission to insult others on the Internet. Yes. Go to psychologyinseattle.com and donate by pressing on the donate button. If we get enough money, Mandy can quit her day job, which she is desperately wanting to do. Jeez.
1: Anyone, you can email Kirk and offer me your job positions. I'd be an awesome employee.
0: No, no, donate.
1: Uh, Donate. Well, what? You can't help me, too?
0: If they donate enough, you can be a full-time podcaster. Okay,
1: just donate. I'll do this job.
0: Yeah. Today's topic is on psychological treatments that cause harm. This is an article that was written by Scott Lillianfeld. Lillian Lillianfeld. Scott O. Lillianfeld. O meaning, God, this is dumb. Scott Lillianfeld. Feld. God damn it. Scott Lillianfeld, written in 2007. Um, I thought I would summarize this because I think it's interesting. I want to ask you guys, what do you think? How do we know if a therapy is harmful or not?
1: I think the patient would have to say something like, I don't like the method that you're using. Because okay. I've only had a little bit of tastes of different types of therapies back when we did the Gloria tapes and you'd see what works for you and what's not really your style and what's not going to help you. It's only going to cause more harm. But that's because you have to speak up and know that this makes you more uncomfortable than you find to be insightful into your own personal growth, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, It gets difficult to measure whether or not therapy was helpful or not. So a lot of times they will measure therapy's usefulness or its effectiveness by whether or not symptoms are reduced. Let's say
2: someone comes in, their problems is like, I'm drinking a lot or I'm spending a lot of money, right? Ideally, you could measure if that behavior is continuing or not, if that was what you were trying to assuage, right? Exactly. Maybe you could also ask friends and family. I mean, I'm not saying that these are easy things to do, but they might say, oh, no, he's still, he's wackier than ever or whatever. Right. Yeah. What do you think, Joe?
3: Well, I think, like you said, it's all, it's so much of it is subjective as a therapist. That's kind of how, when I'm in a situation, I'm having to assess how well a therapy or a technique or something is working for a patient. It's all case by case basis. So right. so much of it has to do with the combination of them and me and and then what we're trying to accomplish in the room. Right. Pinning pinning that down is really hard to do, and I, I'm always a little bit nervous when people are saying, "Oh, this is the thing that you have to do, and you have to do it this way, and and these these things will happen if you do this."
0: So, So, part of the issue with trying to find out if treatments are harmful is how do we measure success or harm and there are so many different kinds of therapy out there, for instance, the therapy that I specialize in a lot of my clients come to me to talk about their relationships and how do you measure whether or not su- the therapy was successful I, I guess going back to what Manny said, you would just ask them, did you think therapy was helpful? But there wouldn't be a measure. You couldn't say like, oh, now I have five friends as opposed to two before. Or now on, you know, my blood level happiness level is now higher than it was before. There's no way to measure it scientifically.
1: But same with, like you said, about symptom reduction, that's also subjectively reported. Self-reported, like, well, my symptoms are this this week and you write that down right next week they say they're this
0: right but there are but it becomes a little bit easier to measure depression for instance because there are decided measures and surveys that measure symptoms for instance there's the the beck depression inventory i believe you fill out this questionnaire and at the end it spits out this number and you can measure that number going up or down or staying the same over time and and you can infer that therapy was either helpful or not helpful
3: but when you get into situations, like you said, with relationships or couples, for example, right, not all couples should be together. Some right. couples go into therapy and they end up getting a divorce. And that's right. what should probably happen. That's the best outcome for this couple. So, But when you're trying to measure something... Would that be considered a success or would that be considered a failure because now they're divorced? So that, that kind of stuff gets messy.
0: Right. So it gets weird. But Scott Lilienfeld wrote in 2007 this article, Psych- Psychological Treatments That Cause Harm. And he wrote about these very things, and I won't go into them specifically. But he actually identified, by going over a lot of the research, different types of therapies that have been proven, to some extent, that are likely to cause harm. And I thought I'd go over them, because I think it's interesting. Before going over them, I just want to say that if any of you people out there are insulted or somehow upset about these identifications occurring on this podcast. I just want to say that I don't have any particular vested interest in shooting down any particular therapies. I just thought it would be interesting to read this article. So if you are offended by something, go ahead and voice that opinion, but I'm telling you it's not my my opinion. I'm just, don't kill the messenger on this. (laughs) Can you tell I get a lot of mean emails from you? For the
2: record, I do. I am the messenger, but I also disagree with everything this guy says or agree with it. Actually, Kim Whatever pisses the you off the most. <laughs> well,
0: for instance, we did an episode on EMDR a long time ago. Do you remember, Berto? Yes. And I actually have taken that down because there are people who are very passionate about that form of treatment. And the episode, we weren't saying it was harmful. We were actually just questioning whether or not it was needed, whether the eye movement was needed to actually conduct the therapy of uh, trauma recovery. Oh, And um, I've actually taken it down because when you start attacking certain kinds of therapies, it's almost like attacking someone's religion or political party to some extent. Oh, And also someone's livelihood. If you specialize in this particular kind of therapy and someone comes out saying your therapy, what you're doing is actually harmful to people, some people are going to to get upset about that. What about the First Amendment, man? All right, so the first uh, treatment identified that Scott Lillianfeld Feld identifies as probably producing harm according to research is critical incident stress debriefing or CISD. This is designed to prevent symptoms of PTSD and related anxiety disorders among individuals exposed to extreme stressors. It is typically a single session procedure that lasts 3 to 4 hours and it's administered in groups and the groups meet within 1 or 3 day 1 to 3 days after the traumatic event where the therapist strongly encouraged group members to discuss and process their negative emotions regarding the trauma. Have you guys heard of this therapy? Only because I skimmed that article. <laughs> well, it's sometimes in the news, you know, if there's a traumatic event like, say, well, 9-11, for instance. There was a group of therapists that went to New York to conduct this kind of therapy because they believed it to be helpful, at least from my memory, I think that's what happened. And it makes some sense. After a traumatic event, you would think that conducting therapy right after the event might actually help. But this specific type of therapy encourages the people that have went through the trauma to actually discuss it at length in these meetings right after the event happens.
3: Which, again, for some people could be really helpful to be in a group of people. We all experience the same thing. This is what I took from it. This is how I feel. And, the, and getting validated by other people can, for some people, probably be helpful. Right.
0: However, according to two randomized control trials, th- this form of therapy might actually be harmful. So one study found that burn victims randomly assigned to CISD evidenced significantly higher PTSD and overall anxiety symptoms at a 13-month follow-up than did burn victims randomly assigned to the assessment-only control group. So you have a control group of people that didn't get the treatment, and you have a group of people that did get the treatment, and the people who did get the treatment a year later had more symptoms, more detrimental symptoms than the people who didn't get the treatment. Why? The article doesn't speculate why, but one idea that I have is that when you go through a trauma... There are different ways of recovering from that, and if you sort of shove someone's face back into the trauma and make them re-experience it by telling the story or hearing other people tell the story, it can be doubling up the trauma.
1: That's what I thought when I thought like, oh, what if this was like a rape? You're a rape victim and you're like talking about it, yep. something terrible like that. I wouldn't want to relive it or delve back into it. Or,
3: Well, again, for some people that, can that be could be helpful.
1: helpful or it could be bad.
3: One of the things in, that I, I'm not totally confident, but I, I read the same article on, and there's a, there's a factor to that mode of therapy where once you start the process, you're not supposed to stop or they're encouraged to not, not leave the room or not leave the session. They have to stay in it. So like you said, having your face kind of shoved in it. Right. you know, If you're not choosing to be in there and hearing other people validate you or whatever, I could see how that would um, re-trigger trauma.
0: Right. Another study performed a three-year follow-up from an RCT or randomized controlled trial of victims of motor vehicle accidents. Individuals who received CISD or critical incident stress debriefing therapy exhibited significantly higher levels of global psychopathology and travel anxiety than did the individuals in the assessment-only control group. So again, this study found that this type of therapy following a trauma actually led to more general psychopathology than those that didn't get the, didn't get the treatment. And I'll say that Actually, I've participated in a similar form of therapy as a therapist, where at this McDonald's, actually, this manager had died suddenly in the night. And the next day, they actually called me in the McDonald's Corporation or whatever hired me to. I sat in a broom closet, actually, and it was my office for the day. And people just came in when they had a moment while they were working their shift. This manager was very much liked by everybody and it was a tremendous loss for everybody it was like losing an uncle or a grandpa or something one by one people came into this broom closet with no door by the way and cried and talked about it and i listened and then but the thing is is it's different from this sort of therapy because i wasn't forcing them to do it Right. And it wasn't necessarily a traumatic event. It's it's a mourning event. It's a it's a loss. It's it's a it's a, you know, grief. So I, I don't want to taint that type of therapy, which I do feel is useful. Things that have happened to me in my
2: life that were that I might consider traumatic or really difficult to deal with. It took me so many years before I was ready to look at it in context or even understand what had happened or Have a meaningful conversation about it I I just feel like If if we had a conversation or anything about it The next day I'd be so confused This is just me right But I I feel like man I wouldn't even understand The context of what you know it, It almost would be just like prolonging the pain So I mean from my intuition tells me Like me that wouldn't work for me Right. Yeah.
0: Another form of therapy that the author felt wa- or that the author thinks is probably producing harm for clients is the scared straight programs. Have you guys heard of this one? Yep. What's your impression of that one? Is this like where they take the kids to the jail and they show
2: them what their consequences will be if they keep going down their path? Is that the thing?
0: Right. Essentially, it started in the 70s in the United States. Scared straight programs attempted to frighten at-risk adolescents away from a life of future crime. By exposing them to the harsh realities of prison life. It sort of makes logical sense that this would work, right? Because it's like, look where you will go if you continue doing this. But for whatever reason, the randomized controlled trials show that, or at least one in 1982, showed that the scared straight treatment resulted in a significant increase in arrests compared with the no treatment control group. Why would it increase it doesn't make sense. Why would it increase crime for people to go to jail and see how miserable it
3: is in jail or is it making jail seem less miserable? I don't know. I work with kids with sexual behavior problems. Most of the kids I work with are really good kids. They did something stupid, but every once in a while, I come across a kid who's pretty antisocial junior budding sociopaths come across those every once in a while doing therapy with that kind of a kid has to look different than doing therapy with other kids for one example is those kids don't do very well in group therapy you don't want to put a kid with like pretty clear antisocial tendencies conduct disorder stuff in in a group with other kids because it just there's something about the dynamics that help them get better at being conduct disordered so I wonder in this situation, because the the kids who are going to the scared straight program are kids who have already gotten in trouble for something. There's a reason that they're needing to be scared straight. And so I wonder if it's the same sort of dynamic that's happening. Right. Another kind of therapy that might cause
0: harm is attachment therapies. Have you heard of this kind of therapy? Rebirthing. Does that ring a bell? Oh, I've heard of rebirthing. Like
3: where people like are buried in the ground and then they come back out and it's like a... Maybe. I don't, <laughs> I, what do you, what, what is that? Have you heard, is that something I've never heard of that? One. I, I don't. I don't think it's a good thing. I, I mean, I think I've heard like people have died and stuff like that. But there's some sort of like ritualistic yeah. thing to it where they can bury people in the ground, or and then they kind of can get themselves out. And how do they breathe? To, uh, I, I I think that's why some people have died. The wow. walking. Dead. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. And then it's, well, so the idea is like you're 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 going through the birth canal process again, but yeah. as an adult, and you will get some other insight or something from animals. Well, I don't know
0: if this is the same thing, but it, it sounds similar. They will take children that they, or teenagers, that they think had experienced trauma upon birth and have repressed anger as a result. And they think that, well, they need to express that anger. So they simulate a birth by wrapping a child up in a carpet or some kind of restrictive thing and then they they encourage the child and and the child isn't isn't willing necessarily and then they encourage the child to scream and let out their anger and then they birth the person and the harm that has come from this is that s- several children have died during this procedure including what? a 10 including a 10-year-old Candace Newmaker in Colorado in 2000 oh my god because they suffocate to death I,
1: oh my god
2: uh- Okay, that seems like a clear, open, and shut case to me. Yeah.
1: sounds terrible. Uh,
0: Right, that's the ultimate harm, right? Okay, another form of therapy that might cause harm is recovered memory techniques. You've heard of this one, right? Yes. What's your impression of this one? What what do you know about this one? I forget. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times you
2: have gone through some trauma, ignoring or forgetting parts of it, and those parts might be very relevant to your healing process. So, you know, like going through, I don't know, hypnosis or different mechanisms to like try to get you to remember all those little bits and details and pieces might sound good. You know, because, oh, maybe I'll fill in the puzzles. Maybe I'll fill in the gaps.
0: Right. Right. Some people have been abused in their childhoods and have difficulty accessing those memories. So what some therapists did, and there was a big case in Washington, actually, I think. I think historically in the 90s or 80s, there was a kind of like a ring or something of a a group of therapists that were basically inserting memories into people's minds. And then those people would accuse their parents or their uncles or other people in their family of having sexually abused them when, in fact, they were false allegations. And the people, the quote-unquote victims, believed that it had happened because the therapist would suggest it to them. They would put them under hypnosis, and they would, they would ask them very suggestive questions like, were you sexually abused? And the person might say, I don't know. Did someone touch you inappropriately? And, and when you say those kinds of questions to someone that is open to the idea, it can actually create memories. And this is what happened.
3: That's been under fire for a couple of decades at least.
2: Right, right. right. What about the angle of, like, we're not inserting memories. We're just trying to get you to recover
0: the memories from your uh, assault when you were eight or six or whatever. Well, here's my experience, and this is not my area, so I can't speak very intelligently about it, but I can speak about my clients. When I have had a client who has been traumatized as a child... And I ask them about it, they might say, I don't want to think about it. I don't I don't like to think about it. And I haven't thought about it in 20 years. But the memory is accessible. So that's usually the case. If you ask someone that has been traumatized, they will say, yeah, I, I, I do remember it, but I don't want to remember it. Or I don't like to think about it. The other situation that I see is that some people that grow up in very stressful families will sometimes block out an entire section of their life. I have a client who can't remember anything before she was 9. And I don't think she was sexu- or she I don't think she was abused, but I think her family life was sufficiently stressful enough that she just has for whatever reason categorized those memories as inaccessible. And I've worked with her for years. I've sent her to a hypnotist. We've talked about it a lot. We've pulled out pictures to try and jog her memory. She's talked with people to try and get these memories back. And for whatever reason, they haven't come back. I don't think anyone can know exactly why those memories aren't accessible to her. But my guess is, is because it was a stressful home. There was alcoholism. There was a lot of conflict. And she was afraid a lot. And so she just blocked it out. Her mind says it's better to forget than to remember.
3: One of the things these things have in common is uh, sort of a, a lack of consent mm. in, in terms of the oh. the, the clients. Like yeah. you start this group therapy session to process this traumatic event, but you can't you can't leave. You got to stick in here with it. Um, you know the the scared straight thing. Mm. That's oh, that's you interesting. You can't really bow out of that. Like yeah. I, are the rest of them like that, or are there any other ones like that?
0: Well, you be the judge. Let's see. The, one of them is uh, the next one is dissociative identity disorder. Oriented psychotherapy. Uh, you remember multiple personality disorder? You've probably heard of that before, right? Well, now it's called dissociative identity disorder. And one of the kinds of ways that psychotherapists have dealt with this disorder is by trying to help someone's alters emerge. And it's sort of similar to recovered memory in that. The therapist will be very suggestive about, you have another altar, right? Let's, let's hear more from that altar. And then what they found through the research is that some people believe that through this kind of therapy that alters are actually created out of thin air by the suggestion of the therapist. And so this is another harm that is increasing the symptoms of the disorder. There's actually some debate whether or not dissociative identity disorder even exists, but I won't go into that because, again, that's not my area. I don't think it exists. I guess it does. <laughs> I mean, didn't, didn't I hear something that the whole Sybil thing was a big farce? Yeah. Sybil,
3: the famous case. In the 50s? Something that, like that. It was a, a person? They made a movie about it. Yeah, and it was a book, too. All right. Another form of
0: therapy that might cause problems for people is grief counseling for normal bereavement, is what they're, this article is calling it. Studies of grief therapy for individuals who have suffered losses of loved ones suggest the possibility of harmful, effect, harmful effects, at least among those experiencing relatively normal bereavement re- reactions. Uh, one study found that 38% of clients who received grief therapy would have achieved superior end-state functioning had they been assigned to the no-treatment control group. So essentially this is, I think, similar to the critical incident therapy in that you are making someone discuss something that they might not want to discuss.
2: Yeah. I, I actually I, I think that was an insightful thing. It's like, as I was saying, in, in my own experience, it took me years to even realize or accept that I might need therapy. And even in that, it took me years of therapy to be like, I guess that is something I should work on. Or, okay, I, you know, like, it's such a long process, at least for me. Maybe I'm just slow. But if someone had forced me into therapy, or I would have just rebelled. It wouldn't have worked. I, I really don't think so. Actually, I remember like in a previous episode, we were talking about Army stuff. And I, I think I had said like, well, it should be mandatory therapy. And now listening to this, I'm thinking, well... A, actually, that's not literally what I meant. What I meant is it should be mandatory to offer therapy. That's Obamable. what I really meant. Yeah. But I now mean it more than ever because now I'm thinking if you mandatorily enforce, uh, force the, the therapy on, on, on everyone, then that might not be good.
0: <laughs> well, the way that I would see that is that you could make therapy mandatory in a sense, but the way the therapy plays out would be dictated a lot by, by the, the client. client yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. Everyone has an appointment, and then I see, it's yeah. up to them yeah, yeah. what they. Do it that hour, what they discuss. And I find
0: that to be very true. Some clients come in, and I can tell they do not want to dive deep. And they they just want to talk about their week. They want to talk about surface things because they're not ready. And I would never force someone to talk about things that they weren't ready to talk about. You know, therapy is a natural process that occurs over time. People have ebbs and flows in terms of their ability to tolerate certain distressing discussions and I would never force that upon. It sounds like a lot of these therapies are sort of doing that, right?
3: Especially in these, too, because most of them are talking about people who have already experienced some kind of trauma.
0: Right. Another kind of therapy that might cause harm is expressive experiential psychotherapies in which the therapist focuses on helping the client release and experience powerful affects. You've heard of catharsis, right? I associate this with the 60s and 70s where they would actually push people to express heavy and explosive emotions. I've seen videos of actually where the therapist has the client pushed up against the wall and they're actually shoving the client against the wall hard and trying to get the client to react. And research is showing that some of this emotional catharsis and explosive emotion that occurs is associated with increased symptoms later on. And essentially the thinking is, is that unless you have some way of processing that emotion in therapy, just the explosive emotion might actually cause harm. In and of itself, does that make am I making sense?
3: I, you know, I think there could be some benefit, like I said, to some people to be able to sit in a group and process some traumatic event that happened to them. And I'll say that Gestalt therapy I
0: use, and I've actually had these kinds of moments happen in therapy where a client will explode with anger or sadness, and <laughs> and it can be very helpful. It can. I, I've found it to be. Ex- one one guy I I think of in particular. He was irritable all the time he would he would snap at people he would lose his temper and after one extremely explosive moment with an empty chair exercise he actually didn't lose his temper as much after that and was much more relaxed it was it was incredible
3: in the in that situation that was a means to some other goal that wasn't the goal right
0: he did that and then we processed that for weeks afterwards that's true All right, two more. One other type of therapy that might cause harm is boot camps. Well, there's reality TV shows, I think, about this, where they send kids to a camp where it's essentially like the military boot camp where you have like a drill sergeant yeah. that is yelling at the kids and makes them do push-ups when they're bad and this sort of thing. And a lot of them actually exist in states where the laws are not as strict about this sort of thing or across the border in Mexico where there are very little laws about this apparently.
3: some of them would go out into the woods and survive with... Just your wits kind of thing for a while.
0: Right. So a recent meta-analysis showed that nine studies showed positive effects from boot camps. Eight showed actually negative effects where the boot camps actually created problems for people. And then 12 studies showed that there were no effects at all from these boot camps. So it seems it seems as though we don't really know if these boot camps are helpful or not, or maybe it's the kind of boot camp or whatever.
3: Or the right? kid going to the boot
0: camp. Right, or the type of kid, yeah.
1: And if it's their choice to go or they're being forced again with a consent
0: thing. They're all being forced to go.
1: Yeah. So who knows if they're like not in the willing, if they're not in the right mindset to want to change or to want to get better. Yeah. How likely are you? Or the ones, like
3: I said, with the personality disorders, and you put them in that environment—is that going to make it worse? uh, You know,
1: it's kind of like their mo to like manipulate or you're
3: traumatizing them, them. right? Right. All right, the last
0: one is: Dare programs were proven to actually increase drug use in people. Can you believe that? Isn't that weird? Why would that be? What does Dare stand for again? Dare is Drug Abuse and Resistance Education. Essentially, it's where you have. Uniformed police officers teaching school children about the risks of drug use and the social skills to resist peer pressure to try drugs. It seems like I could see how this would be ineffective, but actually increasing drug use. Isn't that strange? It is strange. If you're the kind of kid who is attracted to the wrong side of the tracks and you are exposed to the wrong side of the tracks, then it might lead to you going to the wrong side of the tracks, right?
2: Right. It's like it's the difference in sexual education. Like we were talking before, it's like if, if it's an abstinence only class, I would venture to say I would theorize that it might lead to more sex versus a, well, you could abstain. But there's also some safe options. And sex is a good thing, right? Nurturing. Sex is a good thing. And I know this would never fly, but if the class was more like, "Hey, recreational drugs can be a good thing. Just know which ones and how to do," you know, like if it were that approach, it might actually be a little less. Because the thing is, I bet you that's always like, "Drugs are bad," okay and everyone will (laughs) die, and pot's the worst thing that's ever happened to the world, and we need to put everyone in prison. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and it's interesting that you bring that up, because it's my opinion, and I don't know if this is true, that when you do that, it basically invalidates everything you say, because children know once they experience drugs that it 's not a hundred percent bad, you right. know they might smoke pot the first time and think well what 's so bad about this? Wait a second, does that mean everything they said was wrong? Yeah. Maybe it does. Maybe everything they said was wrong, therefore there are no there are no ill effects to drugs, and i 'm going to use them all, even if it was uh, not literally that. Um, maybe it, that conversation doesn't literally happen, but
2: it might implicitly happen right. in their heads. Yeah. yeah. No, I meant that. I didn't. No, I, I thought you meant they literally have that out loud with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, news. Mandy.
1: Apparently, a French study recently found that obese men were 42% more likely to have a low sperm count than their normal weight peers. And 81% more likely to have sperm-free ejaculate. Hmm. So, like... If you're overweight, your sperm is less viable. Hmm. Have you ever heard anything like that?
3: I've heard of that, but I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't
0: fat cells increase certain hormones that might affect your sperm count? They
1: mentioned something like that.
3: Okay. Because I remember reading about that a few years ago in terms of uh, overweight women having a harder time getting pregnant. And then this study came out and said, oh, actually, it's overweight men as well whose swimmers aren't quite so viable. Because of the weight thing. But I don't, I don't remember why.
0: I could also see heat being a problem. If you're very much overweight, I could see there being undue heat on the scrotum, which is kind of gross to think about.
3: Yeah. I know. Thank you for that
0: image to lug around all
2: night. So I've heard, I've heard more and more about this in the last maybe 10 years, uh, the study of epigenetics, which is like the modification of your DNA in real time as you're alive rather than slow changes to DNA because of mutations. And that it, it, it sounds like it's that certain uh, certain chromosomes or, uh, sorry, certain, um, yeah, I guess they're chromosomes. Certain chromosomes might turn on or off. Is chromosomes, the, I'm so, like. Genes. Certain genes, thank you. I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? Certain genes might turn on or off based on behavior and patterns and nutrition and exercise and all these kind of things. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it's not, new genes wouldn't be created, but they might be turned on or off. So, therefore, one might theorize that if one's overweight and not working out and stuff, some genes might be turning off Mm. that might have some influence in the motility of the little guys.
0: No, interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But it's not just motility. It's actually just sperm production. Yeah, and production, yeah. Uh, and maybe it's just tight jeans. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like. It, it,
1: but who can yeah. ever know? Sperm's the invisible.
0: fowls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sperm's invisible. That
1: comes up like every episode. Sorry. It's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I talk about sperm way too much. Sorry.
2: <laughs> so you guys have is heard. Oh, sorry. Are we still talking about sperm? Hey. No, no. Okay. Have you guys heard of crowdsourcing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the general idea? Mandy, do you know what crowdsourcing is? No, okay. It, each person does a little bit of whatever it is you're trying to do, and together they accomplish a lot. One simple idea uh, might be a Wikipedia. So Wikipedia is crowdsourced because not one person edits that whole thing. It's a whole, I don't know, millions of people probably, like, adding little bits and pieces to it. And all of a sudden you have a full
0: freaking encyclopedia. Incidentally, I tried to edit Wikipedia back, you know, a few years ago because Kirkland, Washington was not linked to with a hyperlink or something. And I thought, I'm going to participate. Participate. and I changed it and then someone erased my edit because they thought yeah. I was trying to mess with Wikipedia. That happens. <laughs> and I'm like, why should I? Because it takes time. You have yeah. to code. This is like HTML. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, why should I even bother with this if someone's just going to erase my edit?
1: Why don't you write them an angry email like you get every week and be like, I fucking tried to help,
0: Wiki. Because I'm a there's, nice person. That's why. wars I'm... that happen on Wikipedia <laughs> back and forth. That's for sure. But for Kirkland, Washington, I was just providing a hyperlink to the site. Yeah. It didn't have the hyperlink. That's annoying.
2: Um, all right. So anyway, so so I'm sorry. I'm sorry you have gone through. Am I not being sympathetic? Let's let's do trauma analysis and and replay of the trauma.
0: Um, Don't shove my face in it.
1: I'm gonna rub you. I'm gonna wrap you in the in the rug outside.
0: Good. Tough yeah. or bluff?
1: All right. Tough or bluff? In Star Wars: A New Hope, Darth Vader has only twelve minutes of
0: screen time. Twelve minutes. I'll say. I'll say tough. That that sounds surprisingly low, but when I think about it, he's not on the screen very much. In fact... I was suspecting that George Lucas thought of Darth Vader as a very secondary character when he was first writing the script for Star Wars. And then after Star Wars and the reaction to Darth Vader, he thought, wow, I need to amp this guy up in the next movie. That could be.
3: This Joe? is going to kill me because I, I have a seven-year-old and he loves Star Wars. And I messed up. I got the last Star Wars question last time I was here wrong. So I'm going to agree. 12 minutes of screen time. I'm, I'm, I'll say that's about right. Tough. Oh, in Star Wars.
2: And A four. New Hope. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yes, tough.
1: It's tough. Yes. Oh. Well done, all of you. Yeah. That's pretty surprising,
2: <laughs>
0: though. But surprising. when you think no, no. about it's it, rep- Empire, he'd have more. Right. right. But, but you think about it. He walks into the rebel ship, right? There's, he's not on the screen very long there. He's in that room with the generals, um, he is talking to Princess Leia for a really short amount of time. Yeah, he does a
3: lot of like swooping into rooms and swooping out of rooms.
0: And then at the very end, he's just in that modified special Darth Vader Tie Fighter, and and it's just flashes of. Just he's a, chasing
1: yes. down Porkins,
0: yeah. and he's moving a little down. So, <laughs> speaking of which, Porkins. So, um, oh, and of course, is his, his uh, fight with uh, Obi
2: Wan, right? I did a very interesting uh, study, a fully uh, uh, double-blind, super-qualified study of ad hoc (laughs) research. I put in front of a uh, one-year-old baby, I put a Darth Vader doll. I just started moving the doll closer, and the baby immediately uh, starts shaking its head no. It can't say no, but it's like... (laughs) Uh, uh, you can't see me shaking my head, but it's shaking your head no. And I'm like, okay, so I put it back. Then I grab an emperor doll. Now don't ask me why I have all these dolls, but then I grab an emperor doll. And these are the larger dolls, not the little ones. And I start doing the same thing. And I'm just moving. And I'm not doing. I'm not saying anything. And again, shaking its head no. The only other doll that I've seen this reaction to is I have a zombie doll. And and the thing is, like, this baby will point to the doll and ask me to say the name, and I say zombie, and I always go brains. As long as I'm doing that, it's cool. As soon as I grab the doll and start moving it towards her, uh-uh, shake, your head, if shake you, your head. If you
0: push other dolls in front of her, does she like it? Oh, yeah. No, everything else is great. Oh. So what I realize is
2: the genius design of Darth Vader as a, as inherently scary thing. Mm. You can be a one-year-old and think, that's the scariest thing I've seen.
0: But can I throw something else out? Yeah. You have an association with Darth Vader, and this, this unnamed child might actually pick up on your... Subconsciously? Vader. Well, not... Yeah, because you'd have to have a robot pushing this into a child's face. Yeah, the robot
1: would have to push a hundred dolls in total to her—nice ones, scary ones—and yeah. see what For
3: some
2: laced with alcohol. I, I agree. My my methods <laughs> might not be uh, peer reviewed yet. That's true. Uh, no, but listen, it, I I thought of doing it the full on, which I was like, do the voice and be scary, and I actually didn't do that. So that's why I was surprised at the immediate negative. Reaction.
1: She knew it inherently. Inherently, he's the dark side. Yes. Even babies know the dark side.
2: Tougher bluff. So um, this is in Boston. A cat fell out of a building and survived. That part is true. I'm not testing you on that. Out of a first floor window? No, no, hold on. That part is true. It fell out of a building in Boston and survived out of a 19th story. Now, how, do you say, how do you finish that sentence? Out of a 19th story. There. She f- out of a 19th story window. Yes, there. The Thank cat you. fell from. Thank you, second language. <laughs>
1: Tough. I saw this in the news.
2: Oh goddammit. You can't say that when you're saying tough. <laughs> yeah, you can't
0: lead with that. I, I think it said 19th, but tough. it could have said twenty nine. Uh, okay, I'll say tough because man,
3: you just told songs. me it's true. I'll say tough. Well,
2: that's yes if you saw it on the news. <laughs> I forgot. I was like, it's 19th story. I, I wasn't sure if it was 19th or 29th. <laughs> but, but think about that. 19th story. Yeah. It didn't
1: break a bone or get a scratch. At some.
2: I mean, you hear these things. Cats can always blah blah
0: blah.
1: That's amazing. Uh, not even a broken leg, one little leg or foot. That's
2: amazing. It doesn't. Yeah make sense, man.
0: Well, the way that cats' bodies are engineered, they can do things like that. I think. Plus, when you're falling, falling, the cat might have actually, you know, spread its arms <laughs> that
2: out. A flying squirrel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what the terminal velocity of a cat is, but anyway. God. All right. Tougher bluff. The human egg or ovum is smaller in width than the width of a human hair. Tougher bluff. The human egg or ovum is smaller in width than the width of a human hair. Tough or bluff? I'll say tough. Wow. Bluff. It's it's twice the size of a human hair.
1: Bluff. It's the same width as a human hair.
0: You think a human egg is twice as wide as a human hair, Berto?
1: You can't change your mind now. It's, it's a
0: tiny hard. cell, isn't it? Oh, shit. Okay, it's the same size as a hair. So you're
2: saying tough? Is that what you said? It's the size of a you human hair? You said
1: smaller than hair.
2: Right, so I'm
0: saying bluff. It's the same size. As I say I'm, I'm I with say. Mandy. I'm with Mandy. Okay. God. Well, it's bluff, but it's actually bigger than a human hair. Oh,
1: oh damn it! He tricked you. Oh, I was right.
0: Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I didn't say it was the same. What I thought you guys would fall for was that a human egg is a cell. Yeah. And that's why I second guessed myself. But. I would a th- I would assume that you would think like Joe, in that if it's a cell, it's got to be microscopic, yeah. meaning much much smaller than but, human but, hair.
1: No, I imagine no. it is like a thing. Because it's a so, thing,
0: but it's a cell. It's one
2: cell. It's an egg. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 a it's a very large macro cell, right? Like, isn't technically one amoeba a cell too? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And amoebas can be pretty big.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: But like, I, I had an, um, a friend who had an Amiibo when I was a kid,
0: and you could play all sorts of cool video games on it. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just thought that was, I, I was completely surprised by that fact that a human egg is is even similar to the to the width of a human hair, uh, but it's actually slightly larger. I thought that was, I
3: thought it was amazing. I thought I'd totally get yeah, you. Yeah, I, I know. should have known that, and I didn't know that. I wouldn't know that. <laughs> I knew it was a cell. I didn't think it was microscopic, but I didn't think it was bigger than a
0: hair. That means you can see it.
2: Yes. Yeah. I'm surprised. You're not surprised by that? I am not actually. Maybe it's because I've heard. I don't know.
0: I'm not that surprised.
1: I'm not surprised.
0: Mm. But I thought sperm was invisible.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Speaking of sperm and eggs, remember that topic when we said the girl got gave a blowjob, got stabbed. The sperm dissipated into her body okay. and got her pregnant. I asked a gynecologist I know, and he said, I think he's like, well, the chances. And I was like, is it possible? Is it? Just tell me. Is it possible? And I think he said, yeah. I think he said maybe in a million to one chance it could happen. I just wanted to put, I said I would check out that out and get back to you guys. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. All right. So be careful.
0: Yeah. Don't get stabbed.
1: Don't um, swallow invisible semen. And then get stabbed. Because mm. you're going to get pregnant.
3: Unless you want to get pregnant. Right. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. So because of the whole Star Wars fiasco last time, I thought I would redeem myself. So we watch a lot of Scooby-Doo at my house, too. So, <laughs> uh, so Freddie from Scooby-Doo and Melody, who's the drummer from Josie and the Pussycats, are cousins. Oh,
0: I'll say tough. That sounds too random to be bluff.
2: I, are these, I know Freddie Are we talking about The cartoon characters Are cousins No the real people Yeah the cartoons. The voices Oh <laughs> The cartoon characters Was Josie and the Pussycats a cartoon Yeah Yeah And they, they live in The same universe Sure Like the same Fictional universe Well they'd have to If they were cousins yeah. well, if Well if that were true Well, not okay. God damn! That's no. They live in different universes, but they're cousins. Because I know the Globetrotters. The Harlem Globetrotters are in the same universe as Scooby Doo. I get that. Yeah. Okay. And you're saying that they're cousins, Freddie and this this person's cousins. Right. Tough. Sure.
1: Bluff. I just going to be different. I have no idea.
2: Yes, they actually are cousins. Really? Plot (laughs)
1: twist. Oh my! Plot twist. See, I was right
2: for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Okay. Um, dinosaur fossils were first recognized in
0: 1845. Bluff earlier. I'll say tough. Okay. Uh, yeah, bluff uh, depends on what you mean by recognized. But uh, I, I
2: know I can I can define that meaning. I'm sure they had found fossils throughout history that may have been dinosaur fossils. It, for the first time, the scientists who ever found them were like these are creatures that had never existed before that we didn't know before, and we're going to call them something. And they they were like the first time that in the literature it became established that we had found extinct creatures that then became named dinosaurs. And that was kind of a milestone point.
0: Uh, I'll still say bluff. I think it was earlier than
2: that. Okay. And you guys have all answered. And That was actually early, early 19th century. So probably 18. It doesn't actually say the date, day, but it's way earlier than the. Uh,
0: so you're right. It was earlier than that. All right. All right. Tougher bluff. The Target Import Warehouse in Lacey, Washington is the largest building in the world. Tougher bluff. Uh, bluff. Yeah, I'm going to go bluff too. Bluff, A Target warehouse in Lacey, Washington. Target import warehouse in Lacey, Washington is the largest building in the world. Everyone's saying... Because I thought it was the Boeing thing. It's the so Boeing bluff. building. You're right. It is the Boeing building, but the Target import warehouse is the second largest Are you building kidding me? in the world. We have the two largest buildings the in the
1: target. world. I've never even like heard target. of that building. That Lacey, French Wa-
0: company Target. In Le- yeah, Tarjay. Yeah, and Lacey Washington. Oh my God. Yeah, so the number one is the Boeing Everett factory. So we're lucky because we'd heard that fact.
2: But if you had said the second largest, I'd still would have said Bluff. Yeah, like, me too. Some That's crazy. No way. Yeah.
1: Wow, Lacey, claim to fame. Another Star Wars for you all. You you all know and familiar with Admiral Akbar, mm-hmm. correct? It's a trap. Speaking of, apparently tough or bluff that line was originally scripted as It's a Trick. Tougher or Bluff? It's a Trick. <laughs> I was going to say it, but he stole my thunder.
2: Um, bluff. It's George Lucas writing these scripts, right? So it was probably It's a Trick. Uh, it's tough.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll say tough.
1: <laughs> it's tough. It was originally supposed to be It's a Trick.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Trap is much better. Man. Yeah, much absolutely.
1: Better. They uh, changed it after a Screen test was not so hot.
2: So so do you know now that whole thing is a meme on uh, online image boards? Yeah. There's these things called trap threads where as you're scrolling, and you can imagine scrolling in your browser, you'll see the the top of the picture, and you keep scrolling. You see it's a beautiful woman's face, and you're like, oh, this is so cute. Oh, hot, hot, hot. But then after a certain point in the scroll, you see the lower half of the woman, and it is a guy, a very obvious guy. And so they call them trap threads because they trap you into uh, thinking, oh, it's a hot woman, and then it's a guy. And so they always have, well, not
3: always, but a lot of times they have the picture of Admiral Ackbar going, it's a trap. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tougher Bluff. Uh, Hepatitis is 100 times more infectious than HIV. 100 times?
0: Hepatitis A, B, or C. or uh, Any of them? Yeah. I think that's a little extreme. I think it's probably more infectious, but not 100 times. So I'll say Bluff.
1: I have no idea. I'm going to go with Bluff.
0: I'm going to say tough. Actually, wait a second. I'm going to change mine to tough because hepatitis – I mean, tell us what you mean by infectious or times infectious because I think hepatitis lasts longer. HIV is lasts for a very short amount of time outside the body. So well, 100,
2: no, no, no. 100 times? But in, does it, infectious is like is, – um, isn't it the – how likely you are to become infected or something like
0: that? Depending right. on the behavior, though. I mean, it's like you know, because wow. are we talking about like like a like a blood spill? Or are we talking about like you know contact with humans? Yeah, it's tough. Okay, it's a thousand times, man. That's crazy. Yeah, like HIV lasts outside uh-huh. the body for a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's actually quite fragile. <laughs> yeah, whereas hepatitis I think can last for like a day or something.
3: Yeah, there's like a scary hepatitis story we heard that you can take like a coffee mug of. Blood that that has HIV in it and put it into like a gallon of milk and shake it up and inject yourself with it and you probably won't get HIV. But you could take the cap off the milk carton and fill it with blood that has hepatitis and put it into a swimming pool and inject yourself with it, and, like, you will get hepatitis. Oh, my God. It's crazy. What a weird image, though. I oh know. It's really gross. With uh, milk blood. and a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we Who not? Who up with this? <laughs> I don't remember where I heard that. That's my scary hepatitis okay, story. So, so here's
2: the deal. You can grab an ice cream scooper and uh, grab a little bit of granola. Please right?
1: don't. And no, you spr- no, no. Listen. Me. You sprinkle
2: a little bit of Ebola, then shake it up, and then you and then you spread it around the desert. Now you go through the desert, licking up the sand with your tongue, and there's a good chance you're going to get Ebola.
0: <laughs> I know. There, I mean, you're, 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 the sequence took like right angles. It was like, okay, you take a you take a coffee mug full of HIV blood. I'm like, where, where is there? this going? You and, then, and then, as you, we
3: all do at some point of the and day, and then you
0: mix it in with a gallon of milk, and I'm like, what? And then you. Enjoy Injected in your arm.
3: <laughs> right.
0: You're oh, my God. All the
3: cool kids are doing it. I think
0: we're, like,
1: <laughs> laughing why and we're all crying.
3: It's my but scared it's, straight. No, that shit there's a
1: vaccine
2: for hepatitis. Go get it. Nah, no, there's nothing scary. funny about this disease, but it's no. the <laughs>
0: imagery of the of
1: Jesus. I don't know if that works or does it work, but
0: God. Scared straight. You're right. All right. Tougher Bluff. Haley's Comet is about the same size as Georgia. Tougher Bluff.
1: Oh my God! Wow, that's big. Uh, bluff? No, not that big.
0: That's what she said, by the
2: way. Um, I think it is uh, larger, so bluff. I'll, I'll say tough. <laughs>
0: it's bluff. It's much, much smaller. Really? Uh. Yeah.
2: Haley's comet. Mm-hmm. A two cometo?
0: Yeah. <laughs> much smaller. Comets generally are very small, but they when they outgas, they look. Big. <laughs> That's
2: what she.
0: <laughs> I think, according to my memory, it might be like 10, 20 miles across, or something. It's actually a big object. It's just yeah. But when it outgasses all the all the yeah. mist that comes out <laughs> of it as it approaches the sun, it we can see it as a very large object. But actually, what is causing all that mist is actually a small thing. Take a little uh, milk of magnesia and maybe it'll be smaller.
1: And you put some <laughs> HIV in it.
2: <laughs> you, you you it into
1: yourself.
0: If you take a flu virus and you smear it over Haley's comet, <laughs> and then you smash Haley Haley's comet into Georgia, and, and you, you're in China, and you rub your butt in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: God, it's so gross. Uh, <laughs> okay, tougher block. That'll
0: be our new meme. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: Sick.
2: Well, no, because you got to drill a hole through China to get to the other side. Yeah. Then you pee through the hole. <laughs> then someone on the other side drinks the pee. <laughs> oh
0: God! <laughs> yeah, well, you see, I knew that Berto would take it to this because he actually does a rendition of the aristoc- aristocrat, aristocrat, aristocrat. How do you, you say it? aristocrats. I want to say aristocrats. Yes, yeah, the movie. That- <laughs> uh, the aristocrats. The joke. Have you heard of the? You know, the the joke. The arist- Oh God! We can't tell it. On it's sort of, a, it's yeah. sort of a. It sort of. It takes a lot of right turns. This joke. Yeah. That you pretty much improv, and Berto's really good at it. So you, you can tell you, me offline. Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. Did someone have any more? Me, I did. All right. In The Empire Strikes Back, Obey One appears only four times. or bluff.
2: Snow in the snow. And, and Dagobah, when he's talking to Yoda, he's like, bye-bye, I gotta go with the things and stuff. And he's like, look, the things. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, four in Empire?
0: Are you saying visually?
2: Well,
1: yeah, it said he appears. Yeah, he
2: appears in the snow for sure. He appears in Dagobah for sure. I can't count the fourth one, and but in Cloud City, I know he's there. Oh, Luke, use the force, But, but I don't think he sees him. He, he just hears him. He just hears him. And so are you counting only visual? No, you're, 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 that counts hearing it. No, he's saying she's saying visual. She doesn't know.
1: It said appears. But that could. All it said was, he appears only twice.
2: Er. Oh, no. Ah, sorry. I knew it! I knew it! Okay. Shit, sorry. I'm going to say I'm getting bluff. really tired. No, I'm going to say Bluff because he only visually shows up twice, but I think he, he sounds probably three or four times.
3: Uh, tough or Bluff? The first toilet flushed on a movie screen was in 1960's Ocean's Eleven.
0: I have no idea. I'll say Tough.
1: Bluff.
3: Uh, Tough. It is bluff. Oh, it was really? 1960, but it was Psycho, <gasps>
1: not Ocean's Eleven. Oh, wow! Psycho was Groundbreaking 60? toilet flush sound.
3: It was. It was a big deal at the time. People were kind of. That's kind out. of scandalous. That movie it must was. have like
2: freaked people the hell out. Psycho. I mean, toilet flushing,
3: lady getting murdered in the shower,
1: and then the son playing, and the mother and
2: the mom? skeleton, right? right? With
3: the one of the first oh, scene in the movie, she's just sitting in a hotel room, just wearing a bra, just hanging out oh, wearing a bra. God, people dude. freaked out. That would be crazy. All right, dinosaurs. I
2: know I'm on the dinosaur kick. So in a previous episode, I explained that uh, the largest snake ever found was found in Colombia and it's called the Titanoboa. In fact, I am an amateur Um uh, The thing is that it is technically a dinosaur. It lived uh, sixty five million years uh, sixty five million years ago. It is technically a dinosaur. Uh, tougher bluff.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Tough. The,
2: the tougher bluff is that it was sixty five million years no, ago. No, no, or no that it's, a it's technically a dinosaur. Bluff. Dinosaurs live sixty-five million years ago, but it's te- well not all of them, but uh, this one did. So it's technically a dinosaur. Tough or bluff?
1: Bluff. What
2: do you What do you think it is? I don't know. Okay, I'll say tough. Uh, bluff. It's a snakes or reptiles.
1: Right, that's what I meant.
2: Okay, yeah, it's
1: a snake. Damn
2: it! <laughs> 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 so it is. It's uh, it's a bluff.
0: <laughs> Yay! All right, I just have one more. Oh, go. Oh, oh. There is a protoplanetary nebula named Gomez's Hamburger. Tough or bluff? <laughs> There is a protoplanetary nebula named Gomez's Hamburger. As the resident Latino, Berto, what do you think?
2: I mean, it's so off. And, I mean, sure, tough because some weirdo astronomer found it and he's like, hey, Gomez, you're, oh, you're eating the hamburger? Put the hamburger down. Anyways, we're going to name this thing after you.
0: Joe? <laughs> I'll say tough just because that's totally random. Tough. It's true, it's tough. There is a protoplanetary nebula named Gomez's Hamburger because it kind of looks like a hamburger. But does it belong to Gomez? I think Gomez might have discovered it, is my (laughs) guess. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us this week for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Please take care of yourself out there. Bye. Bye. Oh, my God. All right.
3: Oh, that does start to hurt your ears after a while. It does.
2: Oh.